Evergrande was struggling with its debt problems, there were distressed debt buyers who started picking up the developers' bonds. Why would investors flock to these bonds? Let's find out more in this episode. Hi, I'm Feng Yi. Welcome to another episode of our podcast series where we share with you about newborn issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. The Chief Executive Officer of U.S. Fund Manager, Marathon Asset Management, told Bloomberg Television that he had purchased Evergrande bonds. It was reported that Redwood Capital Management and more had also been buyers. Now the question comes knocking, why do people buy into such bonds? Today, we will discuss this with our guest speaker, Pang Kwan Wen, who has over 15 years of experience in the fund management industry. Hi, Kwan Wen. Uh, hi, Feng Yu. Thank you for having me on board. Welcome to our show. Could you briefly introduce yourself to our audience? Okay, I'm Kwan Wen here. Uh, okay, I've been I'm with uh, Azimuth Investment. Uh, I have more than 15, 16 years of experience in the fund management industry, mm. managing fixed income. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's clarify this at the start. What is distress debt actually? Because that's the topic that we're talking about. Oh, okay. Distress debt are high risk debt in security bonds. Mm. So normally they are they have either defaulted or near default. Okay. So they are trading mostly at ten plus twenty dollars or something mm. below ten dollars. So these are high risk securities. Right, okay, that sounds quite risky. So distressed debt sounds pretty risky, right? So why do people actually buy into such debts? Okay, because potentially uh, at 10 to $15, if some of them can uh, rebound, especially if the company can turn around. So potentially, if we go back to 100 they can be able to get back 5 times to even 10 times return. Okay, a bit like high risk, high return. Um, so let's apply an actual scenario for better reference, right? As mentioned at the start of the podcast, Evergrande's bonds were actually snapped up by distressed debt investors late last year. So could you share with us what might be the motivation behind these purchases? Oh, I, I think probably some of the investors were thinking that Evergrande being a big de- uh, property developer in China, uh, there's a high chance that the China government or even the China banks will rescue it. Mm. So at that time, uh, late 2021, they were trading around $15 to 20 So uh, if things turn around and Evergrande didn't go into default, they can potentially get it back at 100 So there's a five time, more than five times return. So it's very attractive for some of these investors. Um, so you mentioned that um, a lot of people think that maybe the government will save um, Evergrande, right? So I believe Evergrande's collapse came off as a surprise to quite many people because people do have a bit of the mindset like um, it's too big to fail, right? Um, and as you mentioned earlier, like they, they might think that the government might save them. So can you help us refresh our memory and maybe shed light on what might have contributed to their downfall? Okay, in order to understand... Uh Evergrande, we have to understand the business model. Mm. So, uh, Evergrande business model is they borrow excessively, mm. borrow debt to pay for land, to buy land, pay for it, and also to pay for the project. Yeah. So, once they sell it with a, a good profit, so they'll use that to repay the debt. So, this works well for the past de- decade until the China government come up with a three rate line. Yeah. So, the three rate lines are things like uh, they want to deleverage the property sector from excessive borrowing. Mm. So what happens, uh, the things they look at is the debt to asset has to be less than 70%, debt gearing less than 100 cash to short-term debt has to be more than one. So they must mm. have more cash than debt. Mm. 
Okay. So these are the things that affected Evergrande. Okay. Evergrande breached all these trade red line. Mm. So that's why they after that they have problem getting financing from the bank. Okay. Okay. So that also uh partly contributed to the collapse. So okay. on top of that, uh, Evergrande uh is also trying to go into unrelated uh business right. things like uh electric vehicle, mm. uh football club, football, okay. every business. All these are loss making. Mm. Uh, especially for EV. Tesla took more than 15 years to break even and become profitable just three years ago. Mm. So before that, they, they, will be, they have been burning billions. And for Evergrande, uh, it's a highly indebted company. And yet, they still go into ventures, businesses that is loss making. Okay. So that contribute more to its downfall. Okay, I see. So, and um, being too big to fail, I don't think uh, Evergrande is too big. At four percent of the market share, mm. uh, is in twenty twenty, and they only hire hundred twenty three thousand mm. people. It's true that uh, they didn't they didn't get safe lah, so they collapsed mm. and defaulted. I see. So as you mentioned just now, you talked about the three red line, and it's not just for Evergrande, right? It's actually across the sector. So as many might be aware, Evergrande crisis is kind of like just the tip of the iceberg. So tightening housing prices, restriction on bank loans, and also upcoming debt maturities are just some of the issues that Chinese real estate developers have to address. So since the end of 2021, some have made multiple attempts to actually restructure their offshore debts by conducting liability management exercises to extend repayment date. So could you share more about what's the current situation for China's real estate sector and would it meet um, as an opportunity for distressed investors? Okay, uh, just to, just a recap. Uh. So what happened uh, since the uh, Evergrande collapse, right? Mm. So uh, a lot of the property, uh, the whole property real estate sector in China has also like, going to a slump. Mm. So a lot further, a few more companies uh, has uh, defaulted on their yeah. debt. Yeah. So uh, currently, like Sifi, uh, Shilma, all these. Mm. So their bond prices is now trading 10 plus. Some, some of them even below 10. So these are uh, really a very distressed sector now. Mm. But on the other hand, uh, there are some stronger companies that are still able to sustain their cash flow, okay. able to survive, continue the project. Mm. Uh, and the government has also come up with uh, measures to, on, especially on the supply side, mm. allowing the uh, companies to issue uh, equity financing, uh, also borrow money, uh, issue bond with state uh, backs uh, guarantee. Okay. So all this uh, has uh, caused some rebound in some of the bond prices for mm, this mm. healthier uh, company. So okay. as for uh, institutional investor, so some of them will have made three to four hundred percent return. Wow. So normally how they how the institutional hedge fund distressed debt investor do is they have a diversified portfolio. So each investment is around, for example, one percent. Uh, so if their company uh if their investment go wrong, the at most they lose one percent. Right. But the other one percent, if uh, they are right, so they will have made uh, three, four hundred percent, even mm. the offset debt. And on top of that, they have the uh they can come in as a white knight. To rescue the company, like for example, enough financing. Hopefully, the company will turn around so they can get back all their investment in part. Mm. But more normally, those investment is with a secure uh, collateral. Mm. So chances of you losing money is lower because right. you have an asset to back it. 
Right. So okay. this is uh, how the distressed company can leverage and make money from here. Right. I see. I see. Okay. So I feel like personally, like you know, companies they have more resources and all that, right? So what about actually investors, individual investors? Should they also invest into bonds that have not defaulted? But like you said, they are trading at distressed prices, maybe twenty dollars and all that below twenty. So. What are also some of the considerations they need to take before they invest in such bonds? Okay, but on the other hand, for distress in, uh, for individual investor, yeah. it's, uh, it's really a high risk for them. Mm. First, first of all, they don't have the resources. Secondly, they are just one of the small players. Mm. So what they can do is they just put money there, hoping that things can turn around okay. and they have no control. Mm. And a lot of the uh, bond uh, minimum 200,000. Mm. So they will be throwing away all their life savings just to invest on it. Mm. So it's really, really very risky. I do right. recommend that for individual investor. If really the whole uh, uh, saga cannot go through, that means the bond cannot be saved. You have yes. to go to the court yeah. to enforce the, the return that you can get mm. from the recovery rate. Right. So And that is also very costly yeah. and painful for the individual investor. Correct. Yeah, lawyer fees are also not cheap. Yeah. Right. Given this unfortunate default of Evergrande, right, how should investors then invest in bonds and are there any early warning signs that they can take note of if they want to still invest? Okay, like uh, what I mentioned, so actually the most prudent is for the individual investor to do some homework. Mm. So for example, you have to understand uh, a company, the business model, like mm. what I mentioned earlier about Evergrande. Yeah. Uh, because Evergrande is, uh, their business model works because they borrow money uh, to buy land and sell project so yeah. once one of these got into trouble like government policy okay so uh, like the china government policy so you better be careful and exit the position as soon as possible okay so the, the second thing you know is look at uh, what are the other plans like for example if uh, they are strong in property sectors mm. and try to move into unrelated like ev mm. or other businesses so mm. it's also a red flag for you so it's okay. better that you exit that and okay. move into a company that's uh, more focused on their business. Okay, right. And the right. other thing is you ha really have to monitor things very, very closely. Right. And on top of that, uh, as an individual investor investing in bond, I would recommend that you don't buy, put all your money to one company. Mm. So the best is you can buy a mix of investment grade, maybe up to 70 to 80%, some government bond, and 10 to 20% on high yield, mm. and not overly focused on one company. Right. So, for that, you can buy into a funds, or you can buy into a smaller denominator uh, bond that one thousand per lot. Mm, thank you. That's very practical advices. Okay, actually, since Beijing started clamping down on corporate debts in, I guess, about twenty seventeen, many real estate developers have turned to off balance sheet vehicles to actually borrow money. So, considering China's hidden debt problem, right? Um, how useful would it be to actually look at? Chinese property developers' balance sheets to evaluate whether it's worth investing or not? Oh, so actually, uh, I, I looked at this issue before. So actually, it's very, very difficult to pick that up, especially if they put it into their uh, annual report. Uh, okay. So it's especially for, so for uh, individual small investors. Mm. Because for us, at least we can go to the uh, relation, uh, corporate relation and ask them questions. Mm. Uh, for example, suddenly, uh, our grand debt has reduced significantly. So yeah. we were thinking how they manage to finance it. Mm. You can ask them questions, how okay. they do it. Right. And you can compare with before the uh, three-line policy. Mm, before and after. And after, okay. how does right. it change? And right. compared to the peers. 
So mm. these are some of the questions you can ask. If you are not comfortable, you can just exit our investment or just don't invest in it. Correct. But that is not the case for a small investor. Yeah. Mm. So it's best that they be prudent mm. and invest, diversify their investment. Yes, okay. Um. So I guess it's better, like what you have mentioned, it's better... I guess it's not the most suitable for retail investors, individual investors to actually purchase like distressed bonds. Then do you have any advices for individual investors, typical men on the street, uh, who wish to include bonds in their portfolio? Okay, actually the one, one of the most important thing is you must know what you buy. Mm. You must know at least a bit about the company and the business model. So right. you should put in some homework and not buy blindly because you think it's too big to fail for example Correct. like we have the case on Evergrande yep. some people think that Evergrande is big but they are only but they only have 4% of the market share mm. and they only have 123,000 people okay. so that's not really that big mm. uh, and uh, for example high flux is for Singapore yep. cases so high flux fail because people think that uh, it's a water uh, company and water is strategy for Singapore. Mm. So they think that it will not fail, but yeah. it, it shows otherwise. Mm. So you have to really understand the uh, business model, strategies, company, and monitor what's happening. Mm. And if you feel uncomfortable, just exit it. And that will help to protect your investment. Right. Actually, it's true. I guess a lot of homework needs to be done. You need to actually analyze on your own and see if everything is actually according. It's whether is within your risk tolerance as well. Yeah. Okay, as we approach the end of the podcast, um, do you have any last words for our listeners? Oh, uh, okay. I mean, one very important thing is always invest in a diversified portfolio. Mm. Don't put all your life savings into one company uh, and also do your homework mm. and monitor your exposure constantly, especially when there's a new report, read up the news because you, some of them accumulate 20 to 30 years to save out this type of amount. And if you just make one uh, careless mistake mm. and you lose everything, it's really very painful for all. Right, yeah. okay. I guess it goes to the old saying that like, all investments come with risk. So really, you must do your homework. Yes, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to our show. So this episode was brought to you by Bond Superman. I'm Feng Yi and our guest speaker with us today is Pang Kwan Wen, Senior Portfolio Manager at Azimuth Investment Management. Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook, and Telegram to get first-hand updates on newborn issues, credit updates, and special events. For bond information and articles, visit our website bondsupermart.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. 